Albert's gone from a quietly cranky butler to this. I don't know, it's, it's like Malcolm Tugger from the thick of it. I had forgot about Dre going through my head. Death tells Mort exactly what he thinks of his actions in the last few in the last few weeks and fires his ass. And then Mort challenges Death. And I kind of got I kind of felt like Pratchett just goes right. Screw problems with plot holes, we're just gonna go for all like the coolest scene we can do here. Cause they decide to hold a showdown. Hello and welcome to the third and final part of Sharklive Royal's look at Terry Pratchett's book, Mort. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And we've come to the end. It feels like almost we've only just begun with this book, but it is quite a short one, isn't it? And, uh, it is, and this yeah, is yeah. part three of three. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We hardly knew ye. <laughs> now, um, where we last left Mort, uh, Mort was... Uh, we had this major problem that had been created in the universe. Uh, Mort had supposed to have taken over a bit of death's duties and uh, and kill a few people who needed to be killed at the correct time. He didn't do that entirely accurately insofar as he saved the life of this princess and um, <clears throat> now it looks like there's this enormous sort of bubble of reality which is closing in on the princess and it's going to end up destroying her anyway. Bad shit going on. Can I say that's a remarkably efficient summary of the the quite convoluted plot up to this point? Hey, um, no notes as well. That was that was just <laughs> straight off the top of my head. Magnificent. <laughs> no, I, I suppose the plot hasn't been. The plot's quite straightforward, but it definitely has a logic of its own. Mm. And uh, and yeah, well done, well done indeed, well done. Thank you. Good start. It can't last, can it? <laughs> um, here we go. It's downhill from here, but let's go on. Let's let's plunge into the read through. So um so we're we're going from something around sort of page two two nine if you've got the sort of the most recent I don't know. If you've got an edition that is the same as mine, it's the one with the <laughs> big picture of death and all the other characters riding a horse um on the front actually the front cover of my book, just just while we're on this, mm. there's an inaccuracy as far as I can tell. Oh really? Because unless I've got it wrong, what what colour should Death's horse be white. Okay, well I'm just wrong then. I knew that I knew it wouldn't last. My <laughs> professional start of the cast. Yeah, the horse is Mark white in well. this picture as well. I yeah, no, it it's no. He's supposed to be like deathly white with this kind of black figure on top of it, and it's all very kind of. Oh uh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Oh Fair. well, I got that wrong. Anyway, let's moving on swiftly on. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll gloss over that. Um, the fact that I've. <laughs> mistakenly imagined death to be riding a black horse for the entirety of this book when it was in fact white and we'll go into uh, page 229 so we're with Cutwell the wizard he is a wizard isn't he he is a wizard oh, I'm doubting <laughs> everything just, now about this we're book we're just going to do fact check all the way through now more he's the major character in this book isn't he are we right on that <laughs> Death, he's the dude that goes and reaps souls, isn't he? That is his yeah. job, right? No, where the fuck did you get that idea, man? No, I'm just... <laughs> Death, Mr. Yeah. Death, he's the milkman. Yeah, oh, anyway, okay. Um, so so we're with Cutwell, the wizard, uh, and he is planning this coronation for uh, for Kelly, the princess, to obviously help her ascend to the throne. Um, he, he's got a sort of a side job at the moment, which is royal recogniser, which his entire job is to remind everybody that the princess isn't dead because everybody assumes that she's been killed uh, because that's what should have happened in terms yeah. of the reality yeah. until Mort intervened. Um, now, 
it seems that he he's kind of hoping to get the. I mean, he's worried about the. He's been told to sort of do a fireworks show and he's crap at that and he's wor- he's worrying about that when there's a bit of a bigger problem with this whole bubble of reality closing in and possibly sort of ending the world as he knows it yeah. but um he's preoccupied with this issue about fireworks and trying to get the coronation done and it yeah. seemed I, I read into this it seems to be um a bit of a race against time to get her coronated before the bubble closes in yeah. i couldn't work out why that would have made a yeah. difference anyway I noticed that this time through, um, and I was going to say that I think this is a really interesting little piece of narrative sleight of hand here, where Terry Pratchett manages to create a feeling of tension, when logically in the in the kind of world he's created, it couldn't matter less. She'll just stop being alive. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but instead, it's like, must get her crowned before, because reasons i don't know maybe there's something magical about crowning somebody that it completely changes reality and and you know everything's reordered around the monarch maybe i just thought this this maybe just be cutwell's sort of hail mary pass just shot in the dark maybe this will help (laughs) (laughs) absolutely no idea if it will i do (laughs) logically it doesn't make sense i love the idea of an a, a rather overweight and clammy young wizard trying to make a sporting metaphor <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, just the, the very idea of him literally making a hail mary pass is quite pleasing to me. Yeah, by the by, the overweight and sweaty young wizard. I assume you're referring to Cutwell there, and <laughs> what? What? Not trying the... to reach for the metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that was just a really roundabout way of giving you a compliment, Matt? You're a wizard with words, even if you've got a sweat problem and you need to stay away from the pies. <laughs> we are immediately post Easter now, so I have had quite a few eggs. So I'm probably carrying a bit of Easter fat but anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I still don't think you're going to fall within the category that Cutwell falls within, though. Cutwell, this kind of like this guy who goes and raids the castle kitchens at midnight, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that that's the situation in Stolat, um, and then we move back over to uh, what has been fondly christened as Casa Death uh, by me and no one else. <laughs> you can't call it Casa Death if you're not going to go the whole way and call it Casa del Muerto. Casa del Muerto, yeah. Should we go with yeah. it? It's Casa del Muerto. Casa del and, Muerto. Um, there's Mort Bring the speaking whole family. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah. So, so Mort's trying to convince uh, Albert, the butler, who's also, it turns out, this famous wizard, to um, come up with some kind of spell to to, to stop this, this bubble closing and to, to save the princess. And, and Albert's not really up for getting involved at all. Mm. And... During this conversation, Mort sort of threatens Albert, and it, Mort's becoming more death-like. And we get yeah. this sudden—he sudden—he starts to speak in the same way that death does. And by that, I mean these in the book, death doesn't actually speak as such. His voice just sort of appears in people's heads, mm. and that starts to happen when Mort tries to communicate now, which shows he's getting more and more like death and less and less like himself. It's cool, cool technique, isn't it? Absolutely. And I th- this is a really great little kind of narrative handbrake turn where, like, up to this point, Mort's kind of been changing a little bit, but he's still fundamentally kind of, you know, this good kid. And then he suddenly, like, switches and, and kind of swings this, literally, this sword which kills everything it touches at Albert and kind of does this sort of, you know, grim majesty of death voice and kind of goes, on your knees, Alberto Malik. Mm. And it's like, 
all of a sudden he, he you see this all of this kind of darkness that that kind of being death taps into in kind of Mort's human character. Mm. And actually that's that's something that said there's this really great bit later in this scene when when um uh, Albert tries to push back a bit and he's like, No, you wouldn't you wouldn't hurt me, you know, you're not really death. And um and Isabel is narrating from Albert's autobiography, you know, this book that gets automatically written of his whole life while it's happening. Mm. And there's this amazing bit where it just kind of it basically describes the problem with Mort becoming death because you know it, it describes Albert's own book describes Albert looking back at Mort and seeing death there, but not just death, death with all the petty human unkindness and uh, and rage and violence. And um, and I don't know about you, but I I believed it. Like this scene, I really. I don't know quite how he did it, but he really made me believe that this character is kind of undergoing this like serious moral fall. If you see what I mean, mm. how about you? Did it did it hit you that way? Uh, I it was two, I had two things about this. I, I really liked the idea of him turning into it, and and I actually thought that the the book was going to go in a very different direction that it did in the end as well. But we'll talk more about that later. At this mm. point, um, I, yeah, I liked the idea. I I've got to admit, I didn't really. Um, connect massively with Mort as a character in terms of what he was, his personality was like before this. Yeah. So the change into death wasn't as big a. It, it didn't didn't hit me quite as hard because I didn't have a very sharp image of exactly what Mort was like. Anyway, because mm. he mm-hmm. he seemed. I mean, he's a sort of awkward young sort of teenager, mm. but I never got. Uh, sort of any massive um, feeling that he was particularly empathetic with people or was I, I didn't think I didn't think there were partic- any particular human traits of his that disappeared um, mm. but oh, okay. I, 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 I don't know I think that was probably just how you know how easily you connect with with his character what do you do what do you think I mean it's, I mean it's very possible that what I'm bringing to this is like you know memories of having read this at a different age with a much more kind of i don't know i, I suppose i want I, I once had a much more active imagination mm. um but um i don't know i think this this did feel like a bit of a tonal shift to me and it took it in an interesting place it like keeps the pace up as well on the kind of like the consequences mm. of the story because you're right like if this was just a story about whether or not a princess who should have died ceases to exist about two weeks after she actually should have done there's not a lot of you know if this is a story about fate, then there's mm. by definition there's no narrative kind of climax. Yeah, you know what's going to happen. Exactly, yeah, yeah. but this is actually ends up going in a different direction, which I think was really good. Mm. I suppose the thing that that does um, that does work for that, and maybe I'm being a little unfair with it, is that um, this version of Mort now that's turning into death wouldn't have thought twice about finishing the job with the princess. Yeah. And the fact that he did that ju- d- does suggest a different, you know, a very different type of character to what he's looking, looks like he's becoming yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, very much. Uh, now, it, t- it turns out that the, Albert does know a spell to sort of effectively call this off and fix mm. it. Um, and he, he sort of writes the spell down, but he says, if you're going to do it, you also have to... Uh, reap these two souls uh, which are sort of the next two jobs on the list or else the sort of the whole thing won't hang together anyway you can't keep missing you know you can't keep making these kind of mistakes or different discrepancies you're going to create two because I assume it means he's going to if he leaves these other two 
people to yeah. it and wanders off to fix one bubble, he'll create two more and then it spirals, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you just give me the most wonderful image of like the whole of the Discworld in a kind of existential bubble bath, just covered in these <laughs> massive <laughs> yeah. kind of contracting bubbles of different realities and, you know... Yeah. <laughs> really horrifying three-dimensional Venn diagram where one of your hands is in a reality where last week you took the garbage out <laughs> and then your other hand is in a reality where you haven't taken it out for months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, so he's, he's got to he's got to dash off and and do these other um, two deaths and then he can go and try and fix the the princess problem mm. if you like. The first one he he flies over to do. He takes um, Isabel mm. with him for this sort of. Not exa- he's not exactly thrilled with the prospect, but um, Isabel effectively forces herself into the uh, into the trip, doesn't she? <laughs> just what? Just won't take a hint. Just will not take a hint. No. And and as it turns out, thank God. Mm. Yeah. So they head off to the uh, what's the? Is it Agatian Empire? Um, I've always thought Agatian. Aga- yeah, yeah, easy. Yeah. So. Either way, so Agatian Empire. Um, this is quite interesting. It's, I think it seems to be modelled loosely on sort of the Chinese. Yeah, uh, very much, very much, day, isn't it? Um, and there's this idea of this entirely circled by literal wall. Yeah. Um, so it's like the Great Wall, but it goes all the way around. Yeah. And uh, no one's allowed out. And if anyone tries to climb over the wall, they get their fingers stamped on. Yeah. Um, so they're not allowed. And the uh, the choice that the people living there have is either to accept that they're never going to see the rest of the world or um, mm. evolve stronger fingers, I think they say, uh, <laughs> which is quite nice. Yeah. So it's, it's another one of these assassination plots. And uh, this time the Grand Vizier, who has been effectively sort of ruling uh, for the young emperor, who's called the Sun Emperor, yeah. and is getting a bit above his station and is now trying to assassinate the Sun Emperor. Yeah. And there's this really great exchange between the two where they're trying to convince each other to eat this poison, which is part of the <laughs> meal. Um, and it's funny because um, one of the reviews I read, uh, this guy said that this was his favourite part of the book because it was this fantastic uh, intellectual battle between the two and the, and the winner's yeah. going to end up uh, surviving. I didn't read it like that. I thought it was great because it was effectively the Sun Emperor toying with the Grand Vizier because he's got the guards outside anyway. So there's only one person who's going to be forced to eat this poison in the end. Yeah, And yeah. the Sun Emperor's already called him out on it. So it's just the way he's sort of... He's almost playing with his, his former Grand Advisor yeah. um, just to really lay the smack down and show that, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm the boss here and I'm calling the, the shots. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think it's it's satisfying. I agree with you. I think that's a much better reading of that of that scene. Um I do love the witty back and forth, but there's only clearly only one way it's going to go. But yeah. I think it's so satisfying because to a certain to a certain extent you we've grown up. I don't know, well, I don't know about you. Maybe if this is maybe this is only true for me. Maybe this is a weird thing I shouldn't apply to everybody else. Mm. But I feel like I've grown up with enough stories where there's like some scheming kind of grand vizier figure in the background, some first minister or or a grand maester or whatever it is, you know, hand yeah. of the king, um, kind of scheming behind the throne. That seeing one of these people in just in one of these really short little vignettes get completely done is just absolutely mm. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, it, like, it fulfills a great need that I've had, having read several other novels wherein Grand Viziers hang around for the whole story and then the main antagonist. This is three pages within which one gets his comeuppance and you're like, yes! Anyway, yeah. on with the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very good. Um, and when, when uh, 
when Mort finishes the job and sort of swings the sword on the vizier. Does he use the? I assume he'd use the um, the scythe actually for the vizier. Um, it yeah. brings brings the vizier over to the other side, and there are these shadows of sort of other emperors' men who the vizier's assassinated in the past, waiting mm. for him on the sort of the other side, if you like. And mm. it ends with him screaming. It's, it takes a sudden sort of um, really quite horrific turn that little episode, yeah. isn't it? It is, but I think it's part of why the book works that it kind of Terry Pratchett knows exactly when to add the darkness. You know, because most of the most of the book is playing off against this idea of death, which you would think in like a flat retelling would be about the darkest idea imaginable. But actually, you know, you've got death who loves kittens and death who can turn out a really great sandwich and, you know, death who tells his his apprentice to go and clean out the horse shit and death. You know, and you know, it's a very rounded character. But in order to really make this stuff stick, you kind of have to have death have a consequence. And it really is quite a quite a challenging way of. um of, of doing that and I think it does it really really well actually that comes mm. up in other Discworld books as well there's later on called um, The Truth where there's one character in it somehow kind of gets gets shown what's really in the shadows behind his head and they're just completely full of faces hating him because he's killed so many mm. people in such horrible circumstances throughout his life and it's really mm. creepy yeah really creepy and Terry Pratchett's very good at that but he uses it when it's useful he doesn't just set out to write creepy books which is kind of my problem with most written horror you know mm. yeah uh, we, we we zoom over to um albert or as he is now being known alberto his old name alberto. Uh, because he yeah <laughs> i quite like that he's, he's, he's somehow become italian <laughs> yeah so he's donned the old sort of uh moth-eaten robes that he wore centuries ago mm. uh, got himself a makeshift hat as well and uh <laughs> And has has decided to sort of get back in the game, so he's uh, appeared now um, outside. Is it Unseen University? Yeah, that's the name of the um, kind of the College of Magic. Can, can I tell yeah. you what I had in my head here? This idea of somebody yeah. coming back after being away for a long time. I absolutely yeah. had. <laughs> I had forgot about Dre going through my head. Nowadays, <laughs> <laughs> everybody want to talk. Like they got something to say, but nothing comes out. Like. Just imagining that, but in a kind of faux medieval gothic kind of setting. <laughs> you forgot about Albert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he turns up at the university, which it turns out he founded, and there's a statue of him, mm. uh, which he doesn't like very much. It's, it, they seem, seem to have not done a particularly good job of him. Um, and the plaque beneath says uh, his name, and we won't see his like again. And Alberto thinks so much for predictions as he appears <laughs> once again next to the statue. And he blows it up just sort of casually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, and these uh, all these wizards come running out. And it turns out that the statue, um, as statues often are at sort of further education establishments, uh, is a bit of a magnet for all kinds of mischief when people get drunk. So they've hung all kinds of... Uh, things are around his neck and on his head uh, yeah. in the past of the statue, and yeah. one or two of them have uh, also used it to if they can't make it to the bathroom um, during drinking sessions. <laughs> so they're all bricking it because like the this statue that they've effectively been insulting for years as yeah. uh, the the guy who it's dedicated to has suddenly appeared, and Albert's changed. I think he's almost as much as the sort of the mort to death. Albert's gone from a sort of quietly cranky butler to this guy who is just he's he's like I don't know he's he's like Malcolm Tugger from the thick of it and he's like (laughs) angry just like just just 
it's, it's just this, this furious force of will which is just bending everyone to his uh, yeah. bending everyone to his will now. It's, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a spectacular change, isn't it? I couldn't agree with you more there. But I, I feel like it's kind of in keeping with things because it's death's gone away and so every all these pieces which were kind of held in place by that very strong presence have hmm. are now kind of reverting to what they may have been before and uh and you know the whole thing with albert is that he's he's only working for death because he only had sort of whatever he had two months left to live yeah. so he worked out this deal with death that you know he'd live yeah. forever but only if he you know worked for him and um uh and so i quite like this thing where like albert goes through this process where he's like uh, just uh, uh, it's like it's like a kind of wizardry <laughs> version out. of the Hulk exactly that yeah <laughs> um, and I really I really love seeing that because it's like it's so because you can imagine a character like Malcolm Tucker kind of doing this like if he like kind of left politics and went and raised chickens or something you know became a, a you know a, a productive and member of the local you know PCC church council in his village or whatever and stuff and then just getting a little a whiff a whiff of it and just being like fucking yeah <laughs> absolutely cut yeah. loose <laughs> no he he um he gets there's, there's this wizard called rincewind um and he he gets he, he orders rincewind to assemble the eight best wizards because they're gonna perform this rite a bit later on mm. and as as his sort of assistant screws off to do that uh, Albert stalks over to the pub, which he remembers from centuries ago. Um, <laughs> and I, I love this bit. The the pub remembers him as well, because I'll just read a little bit of the passage. It says, um, Albert was in the mended drum arguing with the landlord um, over a yellowing bar tab that had been handed down carefully <laughs> from father to son through one regicide, three civil wars, 61 and more than 61 major fires, 490... Uh, robberies and more than 15,000 barroom brawls <laughs> so it's just this little tab that they've kept for like centuries which he owes brilliant that's that's just totally fantastic now, what I like about I, like, I, I will admit I will admit that this is very geeky of me what I liked about that is 15,000 barroom brawls and it's supposed to have been 2,000 years ago which means there's only been like roughly seven or eight fights a year in this pub which is fairly tame actually if it's supposed to be like an <laughs> ultimate bruising pub <laughs> yeah that's a fair point yeah yeah <laughs> just the yeah just the 15,000 barroom was it yeah a mere 15,000 barroom brawls yeah. but in 2,000 years though that's not bad yeah yeah good point so um so we we we, we shoot over to uh mort who's now on job number two and this seems sort of like a an egypt style place that he's gone to mm. he's, he's going to this pyramid where um we find out a little bit later on only in a few pages time that the person he's got to kill here is one of the servants that uh this king has been buried with and they sort of he kills his servants as well when he dies it's, it's actually um kind of historically accurate for a certain ancient i think ancient i think it might have been egypt mm. uh, it might have been there may have been similar things in the far east actually mm. but um anyway you like a, a a royal dies and they kill all the servants as well to look after them in the next life yeah yeah and there's this uh there's this girl that's been poisoned and has taken a while to die so she's still dying in this sort of room full of corpses so mm -hmm. he goes in to sort of that out mm -hmm. um which again you get these these beats of horror in the in the general sort of yeah. colourful and uh, breezy world that he that um, that Terry Pratchett's created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, at this time, uh, the uh, Alberto was whipping the university into shape and <laughs> getting the uh, eight wizards to perform this rite. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember what it's called. Is it Askenta? Some Ask. Anyway, it's oh, a, it's like an ancient. I, I rite. don't know. Ash Kent. I think it's supposed yeah. to be a pun on the town of Ash in Kent, but I don't know really know why. Maybe it's like <laughs> right, that's, okay. You go through there and you feel like you've summoned death to your very circumstance. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, at the t- so, so the, these two things are happening simultaneously, starting this rite and Mort is in the pyramid uh, actually finishing off this, this death of this of this poor serving girl who, when she dies, says, all right, I'm off to be a concubine now. I've been training for this. Yeah. And, and Isabel tries to step in and say, you know, you don't have to be. It's just whatever you think is, is right for you. Yeah. And, uh, but you can't really intervene in that way in the same way you can't really intervene to stop a death. You just get what's coming to you, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also kind of intervening in that moment, like you can imagine it being fairly horrifying because people don't tend to stick, stick around very long once they've been reaped. And so Mm. you're kind of asking them to have an existential crisis in a moment where they literally might cease to exist if they decide that the wrong kind of thing is going to come to them. It's like, you know, you almost want to say, and I hope the conditions are good for you there. Yeah. Yeah. And it shows the the other side of... I don't know, it really did a good job of illustrating that the injustice of that idea as well. Yeah, yeah. That this, that this this king is going to end up with all these concubines that he thinks is going to happen. And that made me think, actually, of a real-world comparison, like the um, terrorists who blow themselves up killing loads of innocent yeah. civilians, believing yeah. that they're going to go to the you know this place where they get 20 virgins or whatever. Yeah. And in Terry Pratchett's world, that would happen. <laughs> it just shows how yeah, unjust it all is. Yeah, fairly horrifying. And I think I think it's um, interesting and not surprising that one of the things Terry Pratchett didn't kind of touch on in some of the later books, one of the parallels he didn't try and draw was with this kind of... Oh, no, actually, no, I'm completely wrong. I was going to say he didn't try and draw a parallel with this kind of crazed religious fundamentalism. Mm. Um but and he didn't in terms of like like freelance terror like killing other human beings because of what you would like he never wrote a book around that but he actually wrote a book not long after this called small gods which kind of heavily satirizes kind of institutional um you know the kind of religion where something amazing happened a long time ago and it's since become just about the ritual hmm. um and uh, small gods i actually think is a very good book so hmm. we should we should do that next but it definitely, recommendation. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't, doesn't feature any suicide bombers, I'll tell you that. We should do little bibliographies of these, like further reading. Yeah. And recommend a couple. If you like this, go for this. Absolutely. I, uh, I think we can do that in terms of, if you like this, read everything else Terry Pratchett ever wrote, because it's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Easy recommendation. Yeah. Um, so Mort's still going through this process of turning into death more and more. Mm. So when this summoning happens... He gets feels he's getting pulled towards you know uh, turning up yeah. at the university where the rites being performed, and Isabel tries to stop him, and she actually ends up punching him to stop him, <laughs> um, and she's saying that you know you can you you whatever you think you are, yeah, uh, and that you don't have to carry on down this process, mm. and in the end she does just enough because in the end he doesn't get summoned and death who's happily you know chopping onions in this restaurant <laughs> where he's chefing um gets pulled over there instead yeah 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 and um the two things i really liked about this the first is that um isabel's character continues to deepen and develop as they get to know each other and she started out as this one-dimensional kind of girls are rubbish character and actually ends up being the real emotional heart of the end of the book i think like she ends up she ends up punching more in order to bring him back to who he really is 
you know, and I think that's I, I I actually think there is something to be said for that being a really lovely image of what a good romantic relationship is. Not violence, obviously, but that kind of like somebody who's able to go like stop being a fucking idiot. Remember what you are. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I thought there was something really lovely in that actually, like being called to your better self. Um, mm. I, even though they're not in a relationship at this point. Um, but um, the other thing is that, um, isn't it weird that here, you're whatever you think you are, is a, a, a statement of liberation for Mort, where two pages before, it was a statement of, you know, condemnation to eternal servitude for this this servant girl. Mm. Like, that interest, yeah. that kind of relativism, like, it cuts both ways, right? Yeah, and it, it, it obviously entirely depends on whatever it is you think you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. That it, it, that's a it's a theme that runs right the way through the book, that isn't it? Which is uh, yeah, which is nice to point out. So death gets summoned instead to this right, and he is pissed when he finds out <laughs> what's been going on. <laughs> There's a lot of sort of is this how he repays me? Uh, speak from death as he yeah. finds out what what Mort's been up to in his absence. Um, and I have so, to say, this is one of the moments where these lines go down much more terrifyingly if they're in your death voice than in mine. Because in mine, he just comes <laughs> off as like a slightly disappointed Tory party grandee, you know, is this how he repays me? Whereas yours is like the creeping existential horror. Is this how he repays me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, as the book's gone on, my um, interpretation of this voice seems to have moved, rather subconsciously, moved from like a, a deep menacing life, uh, meaning of life, Monty Python death, to something closer to sort of Lord Voldemort from Harry Potter. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> but it kind of works, anyway. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, anyway. cool. Hey, did you, by the way, did you follow the, the kind of little thread underneath this particular scene where, like, Albert gets trapped in the, in the, the octogram <laughs> yeah. and there's this, there's this wizard outside who's been, like, toadying up to him, but then he turns to him and goes, pass me my staff, he can't do anything while he's in here, give me my staff and I can take him out. And, yeah. and, and this, this character, Rincewind, just goes, no, no, no sorry, what? I don't understand, what? No, I just, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. It's very, oh, 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 terribly bad. Oh, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> yeah, do you get the feeling maybe um, they, the, the wizards quite like the, um, the, 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 the lowering standards, easy life oh, version geez, of the university yeah. that they've come to? <laughs> well, I mean, wouldn't you? Albert comes back and starts talking about, you know, uh, oatmeal every morning it's five in the morning you know four laps around the quadrangle before you get to do anything else all of this and um, and later in the Discworld books the wizards just become more and more brilliantly parodied of kind of like uh, of uh, a parody of like privilege and wealth and they have like you know they they have like a whole train full of condiments whenever they eat their meals and even a small snack is you know contains a cheese course and stuff like that which <laughs> is really great yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Alberto gets stuck on the wrong side of the sort of the circle, if you like, here, and um, and he gets sort of dragged off with death when death disappears. Yeah, uh, and, and and goes to we assume reap some vengeance. So Ooh. bad news for Mort. Yeah, no kidding. Who who is just waking up um, now after sort of coming round, and it seems that he. Has become much more mort-like again. Yeah. This, uh, this process of deathizing mort, mort as a as, as slowed now, or at least reversed somewhat. <laughs> 
and he realizes that there's still time to save Kelly yeah. if he can get over there. So it's back on with the mission, and they uh, they arrive as the coronation's happening, and uh, Cutwell can see that the bubble is extremely close now, like a couple of streets away. Yeah, yeah. So it's getting uh, to crisis point. Yeah. Once again, he's he's trying to speed through the coronation for reasons <laughs> best known to himself. <laughs> it doesn't seem to make any difference anyway. Um, and then the Duke turns up with a load of sort of soldiers yeah. to finish the job and assassinate Kelly. Yeah. Um, and at this point, I again, there's some. I thought, oh, this is this is what happens when the when the circle closes, if you like. Oh, the, like that you know he turns up to personify this change in reality. Yeah, so so it sort of reality reasserts itself. Yeah, and I and but it's kind of not, is it? It's it's actually he's going to do that, and it what he's doing is also irrelevant because things are just going to go back to as they would have gone if the if the paths hadn't diverged. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, actually, now Mort arrives in the middle of this, but he realizes that it's too late. Apparently, this spell that you can perform, you have to do it when the bubble's a certain size, or else it isn't going to work. Yeah, um, I think the the sort of the blowback or the explosion from it will just kill everybody anyway. Yeah, so it looks like it's all over, mm. and Kelly says, "You know, I'll well, make me queen before I die," and all this. Mm. And then they they decide that you could just actually, if you just fly off to Casa Death, then sorry, you can so, sorry, Matt, to where? To where? To Casa del Muerte. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. That then you can sort of you can outrun the or the bubble won't sort of happen because you're sort of almost like coming out of the water, aren't you? If that makes any sense. Uh, and, very uh, good image, actually. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, it kind of works, doesn't it? Yeah. So, um, so they can get to Casa Death, which would keep her alive, but doesn't solve the greater problem that you can't actually return back then without yeah. without dying. Without. Fucking so it's sort of yeah. a it's sort of a, a last. Yeah, sort of a last chance saloon. They all make a break for it and run back to, back to uh, back to death's pad. <laughs> where and that's like that's fairly serious, isn't it? That's like I think we've all had an experience where you know, like if there's been a party at our place or something, and somebody's ended up crashing on our floor. Maybe it's a bit messy. That's okay. You know, they're going to move on during that day. Imagine death where that happens, and it's not one person before people, and they're like existentially unable ever to leave. <laughs> like, yeah, hosp- that's hospitality taken to a whole new level, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, death returns to his place as well, and uh, and then we have the sort of the confrontation. Uh, death tells Mort exactly what he thinks of his uh, his actions in the last few in the last few days, weeks, or however long it's been, mm. and fires his ass, uh, <laughs> unsurprisingly. Uh, and it and it and then Mort challenges death, and and this turns into, I kind of got I kind of felt from 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 here, like Pratchett just goes right, screw problems with plot holes, we're just going to go for all out coolest scene we can do here because <laughs> they decide to hold a showdown in the room with all the uh, all the hourglasses. That is it great? <laughs> yeah. Where should we, I mean, where now where should we fight? Obviously we must yeah. fight. It's the end of the book. But where will we fight? <laughs> Let's fight in the place where literally every life in the world is easily forfeit <laughs> in a small yeah. space. <laughs> yeah. And for a guy who's been worried about 
screwing around with fate. That's a spectacular decision from death, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, but equally, he's become, in his anger, he's become crueler. Like, I think at this point, he's ceased to be this kind of civil servant type. Yeah. And he's, 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 he's kind of become the sort of civil servant who just kind of tries to kill everybody in the town they're administering just so there'll be no more administration to do, you know. Just so we'll yeah. definitely have solved the problem of too many people parking on Saturdays because there'll be no people and no cars and no Saturdays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so we, we, we get into this uh, scythe versus sword fight. So Mort's got the sword and Death's got the scythe. Um, and, and, and death is is pretty badass with this. So you imagine it would be harder to fight with that, but not if you not, not, not if, if you've been death. practicing for literally the whole of recorded time. Yeah, and and during this fight, as they're sort of going at it, um, a few of the hourglasses get smashed, and the other people observing, like uh, Cutwell and Kelly, are, try, are trying to, and Isabel are trying to catch the glasses from these hourglasses from falling. Yeah, yeah. Um, as they go. I, I quite, gla- I quite like the kind of slapstick of this, the yeah. uh, this the sort of like you've got this like epic battle to the death going on in the foreground, and it's kind of like the anti Pope in the pool, you know, this thing we talked about last time where you've got a comedy thing going on behind. Because this isn't yeah. a boring bit. This is a really exciting action sequence. But Terry Pratchett's still like, and I'm going to have people running around the room trying to catch stuff, falling over, smashing things. Oh, it'll be hilarious <laughs> and dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when hourglasses smash, the people whose lives they are die. Yeah. Um, I mean, did you have a problem with that? Because I thought the whole point was that need, death needed to be there to sort of do the job of taking the souls away. I'll level with you. I was pretty much, I was caught up on the wave of the the wave of occurrences right now. I'm a sucker for an action yeah. sequence, honestly. Anything <laughs> exciting going down, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you could. Let's carry on. Yeah, or we'll leave that then. Well, no, um, and I suppose logically people must die without death being actually present, right? Like, I think earlier on in the book when Mort gets sent out the first time, he's like, you must be very busy, and he's like, well, a lot of it takes care of itself, but there's some people you still need to turn up for, you know? Um, okay. Like witches and wizards and stuff. Kings, but... Yeah, I suppose there are, he doesn't do much with the sort of you don't you don't see more going after. Although, although people like the little serving girl and stuff, you wouldn't have you thought that would take care of itself. Um, yeah, maybe it's just the complicated ones that death gets involved with. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's very likely because um, otherwise it would just be a book in which you saw death turning up like the first scene would be death turning up on these cobbles and kind of being okay. I need an apprentice. It's you. Come on, no time to waste. Kill, kill, slay, <laughs> yeah. death, slay, kill, kill, all the way. Like, and it would just be a story of somebody becoming quite confused about how, how quickly it's possible to see literally every place in the entire world every day and kill people in them every day. And it wouldn't be very sort of compelling in an ongoing way, I suppose. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I um, read a, had a different reading of that. And it, it, it was part of it why actually the, the, the Mort race against time jarred a little bit for me but I put it to one side because I thought I've just read it wrong but I mm. always imagined de- this death to be sort of a black version of Father Christmas in that he can get around anywhere by bending hmm. time around yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, he, yeah. he, he, so he doesn't rush everywhere because he's sort of outside time oh uh, interesting that's as you go I, I yeah. thought with, with the smashing glasses I thought it'd be quite funny if it's um Death's been for however long having to go to each one as the glass runs out um, yeah. to to deal with it, but 
is just yeah. is you could just realise now actually if you just smash the glass it takes care of itself. <laughs> so it's wasted like centuries of having to turn up when you could have just waited for it to run out and then just smashed it and they'd have sort of trickled off to wherever they go. <laughs> but, <laughs> and that's why he's so pissed. He's like, I could I've wasted all this time. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I could have been playing Xbox. Xbox <laughs> 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 Now this this uh, this fight scene ends with I mean very nearly uh, Mort gets the upper hand at one point um, when Isabel like sort of intervenes and and says uh, something to death to try and stay his hand mm. and he gets distracted and then Mort is on top and winning until <laughs> I love this image death kicks Mort in the balls like I just imagine this bony, this bony <laughs> skeletal leg just. <laughs> flying out and connecting. Oh, that's cold. <laughs> yeah. That's cold. Gone for the bollock shot. Absolutely. Yeah. And that you can't do anything in return, can you? Death There's definitely no does not that. have testicles. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the moment where you think, right, this is it, death's holding the hourglass up of, of Mort's life and you can see it nearly finished and draining away. And there's a dialogue here which eventually it's kind of a philosophical argument almost yeah. where death decides that actually he can change his mind and yeah. and he can decide to affect things if he wants to and it ends with death turning the hourglass over yeah so mort's life effectively begins again yeah or so his time uh, doubles yeah what did you make of this sudden change of heart i thought it was a bit too quick. It was a bit too easy to kind of scan over it and be like, oh, so everything's all right again then. Yeah. And I actually think there's more depth in it than that because what he's saying here is that he's got the ultimate arbiter of ultimate fate to reconsider his existential position and his philosophical belief in whether or not people can change their minds and whether death can ever be kind of, you know, waved aside for a bit or whatever. Hmm. Uh, and I really like that. I really do like that. I think that's a really good, really interesting, like, philosophical place to take it. But, you know, the plot's moving at such a pace that you don't, you know, he's not about to take four pages over kind of a, a philosophical discussion when he could just wrap up the plot and have everybody walk away feeling happy. You know, at the end of the day, he knows he's writing in an entertainment medium. But I do quite like that he still manages to put that, that kind of philosophy stuff in there. Um, and of course, when I was 13, I didn't give a shit. It's just now that I'm this age, I like the idea of, you know, a little bit of a philosophical discursus, but I'll uh, I'll let it go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then we, we, we move on, and then we sort of move into what's effectively, although Terry Pratchett doesn't do chapters, sort of an epilogue. So um, we're back in Stolat, and death sort of made it so that things can go back to... No- oh, this is, a, this is an important point, actually, which I missed. Um one of the glasses that's smashed is the Duke who was supposed <laughs> to take over from Kelly. Yeah. So rather neatly, that means there's an opening so they can drop her back into play. Yeah. If you like. Yeah. Um, so that so that's what's happened. Looks like Mort and Isabel are, are getting married as well. So they've um, they've sort of gotten together and been made dukes. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I quite like the um, I quite like the the kind of the quick way that this is wrapped up about Morton Kelly, where, like, you know, because his, his kind of crush on her has powered a good kind of at least 50, 60% of the book. And it just mm. kind of, 
and uh, and somebody says, you know, I think it's death even. It's like, I would have expected you to marry her. And he says, yeah, well, we just talked about it. And, you know, you don't have to marry her just because she's a princess. Mm. And um, and I really liked that, actually, because I, I feel like that's another way that Terry Pratchett's being true to the kind of teenage experience of like, I mean, I don't know if you had this experience, but um, like relationships that you have at that age seem incredibly intense and like they're gonna you know like they're everything because that's all you know but actually you know if you if sometimes you know it's it's good for both people if you take a moment and you're like actually you know it turns out this isn't Romeo and Juliet this is just a fairly nice idea which isn't really working you know like you know, it's possible for, I think that's a big part of growing up, you know, it's possible to kind of experience something and then be like, mm, not so much. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really important maturing moment, actually. Yeah, I I liked the the progress of that. I like the plot points of like, he like, <clears throat> he's, he's obviously wrapped up in Kelly at first, and then, and Isabelle hates him. And then as you move along, sort of they, um, circumstances change and he realizes that he you know wants to he prefers Isabel and she realizes that as well mm. and the Kelly thing sort of drifts apart a bit more um I, I did think that it didn't I didn't really feel the the romance of that though I didn't really feel like yeah. the uh, I, I, I sort of I saw it happen without feeling it happen if that makes sense the the yeah I, I didn't see why I, I wouldn't be able to explain why he 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 sort of why those feelings change I didn't really feel that really connected but the actual idea I thought was good actually I think there might be something in the the conversation that Death and Mort have right before he well doesn't kill Mort in the end where I think Mm. Death says I can't remember the line but it's something like Death says you know you'll never understand you'll never understand what I see and Mort goes I might and him saying that completely changes Death's mind. You know, he realizes that he's toyed with this guy's destiny, and that therefore mm. destiny can change. Mm. But I think, and and but I think actually the important thing in that is the compassion piece, where Death's like, "Oh yeah, somebody does understand. This kid understands." And I think that's the same dynamic that you could put onto Moore and Isabel to a certain extent, where you know they've had this weird and extraordinary experience, and they've been dumped back into time, and it's all very odd. Um, and to a certain extent, like after, can you imagine a better bonding experience than <laughs> yeah, rewiring the way Death himself thinks about fate? That's, mm-hmm. that's a fairly big thing, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Um, now, there's also I love this thing that Death give, he gives. Um, Death arrives at this uh, at this wedding, mm. and he gives um, he gives this pearl to uh, to Mort, and it's. Um, it's a piece of reality, and it's it's the reality that Mort created, which has oh, been sort of condensed right. and turned in in itself. And yeah. that's like, yeah, if if this universe ends at some point, then the sort of balance will mean that this this thing explodes and another one is created. Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting sort of really obviously really meta idea, but it was really really cool. Yeah, I thought that was pretty sweet, and I thought it was a much cooler way of earning that than uh, it reminded me of Men in Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing where there's all these universes and marbles and stuff at the end. But actually, like, I, Men in Black was all right. But I thought this was a fantastic way of earning that. I thought it was great. Like, mm. Men in Black, but better, basically, is what nobody will ever write on the front cover of Mort. <laughs> but they should. There's a, second, there's, there's a second present as well, which is um, Mort's, Mort's book. He's, uh, 
his, his biography. Yeah. And uh, Death just says, hey, take a look at this. And Watt's like, oh, this is cool. This is my own life. Uh, and there seems to be a lot of blank pages, so yeah. it's looking quite rosy as well. Yeah. And uh, and the, the, the ending's quite nice where Death says, uh, it's not goodbye, it's au revoir. Um, <laughs> hey, you've got to yeah. really, haven't you, when you're talking about, when you've got Death as a character. I yeah. prefer au revoir. But you can almost hear him kind of really happy with himself moonwalking away from it, just sort of like, <laughs> yes, oh yes, <laughs> bye, see you later. <laughs> yeah, and that is, and that is, uh, that is Mort. There we go. That is, and um, I don't think I need to ask your opinion of this one, but I will anyway, because <laughs> I think we all know what you're going to say, but I, I kind of get the impression that you, you know, you were... You're quite fond of this one. I am quite fond of this one. And like I said at the beginning, there's just fuck all chance of me giving a, a, a reasoned critical appraisal of this book. I love it because it's <laughs> one of the first books I ever read that really showed me what you could do with language and how much fun you could have with it. And it's got these sort of, quite apart from the plot, it's got all these little vignettes and moments that are funny and humane and illuminating scattered all the way through them with this wonderful wordplay. And yeah, I, I mean, I love it for all of those reasons. Um but it's been it'd be really interesting to come back to it now that I'm older and sort of see, you know, all the different reflections on it. Like, obviously, I, I now think differently about mortality than I did when I was 13. I think differently about relationships. I think differently about all these things. And um, uh, I suppose, mm. that, I mean, for me, the sign of a good book is is that it, you know, you keep coming back to it and you see something different every time and you reflect on something more deeply every time mm-hmm. you come back to it. I mean, obviously, there are flaws. I hadn't noticed many of the plot holes, which there are, and there are some pretty fucking stonking plot holes um, in the book at certain points and uh, um, and that sort of thing. But I'm kind of, obviously, I'm willing to let him get away with it because it's, it's Terry, you know? It's Terry. <laughs> yeah. How about you? What was, what was your impression? This is your first Pratchett book. Like, what, was, what, what did you think of it? Yeah, I, I, I liked it, um, and I was... <laughs> Uh, I was glad I did. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to have had to come on and say and trash it. Like, oh, I, I thought it was awful. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I, I loved it, and I, I'm not sure I'd say I'd go out and be the next thing I desperately want to do is find another Terry Pratchett book to read. So maybe I'm not quite mm-hmm. right for Terry Pratchett, mm-hmm. but um, I can appreciate that. I, I, I love the idea. I love the creation of this weird and wonderful, colourful world. Um, I like how different his writing style is to anything I, I, I've tended to read, read before. Mm. How sort of how sort of different it is, how, how whimsical it is, and it just sort of dashes off at tangents every so often. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, like a good storyteller who every so often just wanders away from the story for a bit to tell you something else interesting, and then yeah. circles back to yeah, it and yeah, carries yeah, on. Totally. Um, and the 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 big themes of it and the idea of following death round for a bit, I love that sort of the whole concept as well yeah um i would say things that i thought were less great with it was i'm it's i think the thing i what the reason i don't love a book like this is that i'm a real sucker for as, as we've seen from other books for um characters that i almost live with and really feel their emotions yeah yeah. And I never really felt attached to it. the other. One, the, clo- the the character I liked most by far was Death in this. Yeah, and I never really felt like I connected with any of the others. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, uh, no, for, for example, in the final fight and stuff, I wasn't massively bothered what ended up, how Mort would end up. 
Yeah. And I wasn't desperate for the for the Queen thing to really work out because kind of, I, I kind of thought Mott was been a bit of a dick when he was messing around with that anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was. I think I think that's legit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on on the whole, I thought I, mean, I think the the whim- and the, the other thing was the whimsical stuff is is um, is good, but sometimes it, it, I find find it a bit frustrating when, especially when he's really hitting the strides with the plot, and I want to know what happens next. Yeah, and I think I think at the start of this this part where like Cutwell's looking out over the field and. You can see the bubble getting close. I'm thinking, oh shit, what's he going to do? How's he going to fix this? Yeah. And then there's about, about there's about half a page talking about the tower that he's standing in and just a bit whimsical. Uh, and I'm like, get on with it. I want to find out what happens. Oh, but come on, we've done we've done every well, we've done the first three books of Game of Thrones. George yeah, R. R. Martin I know, is not averse to ending a book on a cliffhanger and leaving you waiting for like six years. I, yeah, it's true. I, I respectfully yeah. suggest <laughs> that uh, that this is not something which Terry Pratchett is alone in doing, and half a page I can well cope with. But George Martin, where he makes me wait for an entire fucking long chapter to find out whether yeah. one of my favourite characters has died, you know, that before <laughs> in the days before I yeah I worked out that if I thought a favourite character of mine had died, he probably had. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I would say um, overall, I was I, I would rec- I would definitely recommend it to anyone who hasn't tried Terry Pratchett before. Um, mm. And uh, I would say, I mean, as as you said, the it's a good one to start with because something that it does very well, considering it's in a big long series of books about a sort of fantasy world, mm. you don't need any prior knowledge. You can you can, as you said at the start, you can read this book. Mm. As if it's the only book ever written about Discworld, and it won't. Um, you won't. Obviously, you'll miss bits and pieces that interlink. I'm sure with other books, mm-hmm. but you won't feel like you've only read half a book because you don't know the rest of the sort of the, the greater tale. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right there, actually. Um, which says a lot for it. But enough of what we think of the book. If it's come to that time of the, of the podcast, you know it. Let's do I it. Know it. Uh, it's it's reviews from around the internet. Now the interesting thing about Mort is that um, it doesn't seem to provoke a lot of really extreme, one way or the other views. There, there, there are, <sighs> there are a lot of five stars, but there aren't. The, 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 I'd say the vast majority of of likes and dislikes either fall into the four stars if you like it and two stars if you don't. You don't have many people. You, you don't have a overwhelming number of people compared to other other books I've researched saying this is the greatest book ever written but you don't you also don't have an overwhelming number of people saying god this was absolutely awful yeah. don't go near it yeah. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody yeah. it seems to be maybe I don't know it seems to be a lot more considered which is I suppose is nice but it's... don't worry Dave there are still some there are still some good comments coming <laughs> your way okay all right hear me here we go uh, come okay. on Let's start with let's start with some of the big the big ones from the four starers. Yeah. Uh, Jenny says absolutely brilliant writing. Seriously, easily some of the best writing I've ever read. It had me giggling and laughing from beginning to end. I didn't connect with the characters as much as I, I as I would have thought of with this level of writing, but I enjoyed it nevertheless. Mm. So she was sort of um, 
say in, in terms of sort of the, the roller coaster ride of comedy, this is the thing to go for. Yeah. And I think that's true and it's definitely kind of knockabout. And I suppose I mean I think the the reason to stick with Discworld is that he, he was always this good at writing funny. And then as the series went on he became more and more um more and more kind of humane and into the depth of the characters and stuff like that as well. And I think there are points later on where you really you know, you really feel it and it's really good. Mm. Um but broadly I think that's a that's a good summary actually of what we've both said, isn't it really? Yeah. Uh, Ruth gave it four stars, and I'm, I love Ruth's turn of phrase here. She says, "This was so gosh darn funny. <laughs> I made an I made an idiot of myself laughing out loud while reading this at the gym." Uh, <laughs> Glorious <laughs> I love that idea. Oh man! Well, as we know, I share that experience. This is the first Terry Pratchett book I read, and I nearly got thrown out of my English class for laughing, like suppressing <laughs> snorts of laughter at the back of the room. Uh, when yeah. I was 13 but um, I love the idea of reading it in the gym like how slowly yeah. are you running on that treadmill or have you got it well, taped gonna... to a barbell or something are you just sort of like bringing it up to your face reading it one word at a time in that kind of reciprocating motion yeah well this is I mean this is one, the one of the few books I would recommend you do not read at the gym because you don't want it if you're on the cross training you don't want to start laughing yeah like that, it's just going to fuck up your breath flow isn't it yeah exactly um I, got, I, I have read at the gym in the past. If you go on an exercise on the exercise bike, you can read as you go. Yeah. Um, because obviously, unlike in the re- <laughs> the real world, if you can't read on a bike because you're cycling down a hill because you like to <laughs> kill somebody, <laughs> but you can do it there. Because the thing that's the that's the odd thing about exercise bikes, though, isn't it? I find them actually some of the most depressing, one of the most depressing machines I've ever seen because it's basically a being on a bike and not actually getting anywhere. It's like a running machine. I just find it bizarre. But anyway, that's, that's a bad <laughs> bike. Um, it's like being a hamster in a wheel. Anyway, yeah. um, Ruth goes on to say, if you like a quick, hilarious read, pick up this little gem and I will pick up another Discworld novel. Oh, very nice, so, um, very nice. T- t- Terry's, got, Terry's got himself uh, probably a, a, a 20-book fan there. There you go. However many. How, how many Discworld novels were there in the end? About 40. Oh, 40. Yeah, right. Double it. Double your money. Double your money. Um, yeah. Do you want to hear a, a few a few down the side of the lower end of the scale? Bring them on. Let's hear them. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I feel like I'm just going to throw these up like softballs and you're just going to whack them out of the Shit, <laughs> <laughs> you make me sound like this horrendous bully of like, come to me, people of the internet with whom I disagree, and let me eviscerate you without right of reply. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a there's a good one which I think you're gonna really enjoy. All right, let's the first one. All right, come on. Jordan says, Jordan, Jordan, what a twat. Yeah. Jordan, <laughs> Jordan says, not recommended for adults. Whiny child protagonists, great throughout. Fantasy book love story is boring. <laughs> <laughs> the character of death, I, I didn't really engage with. What? Yeah. <laughs> you going to talk about anything else in the? No, oh shit! I I don't know what to do with that really. Like I, nothing about the plot. Just oh, I didn't like these characters and love stories of bollocks. Well, if if you're offended by a love story that goes on in such muted terms as this one does, then you must find yourself infuriated by every piece of fiction ever created for any forum ever there's always some love story in it somewhere because they're about human beings and this one's incredibly muted actually but but whatever whatever. I, I, to, to be fair to Jordan maybe that's his problem with it maybe he thinks it's too muted 
Oh, interesting. So he, he would like a more... He picked it up expecting a book called Mort to actually be like <laughs> Wings of Desire from Mills and Boone on the inside or something. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Joe. Joe gave it two stars and he said, not for me. I mean, I mean, Joe sounds like a fun guy because he says, even I have limits to the silliness I can stand. <laughs> so, you know, well, what if he he's just fun, a really boring guy who thinks he's fun? <laughs> Even I yeah. have limits to the fun, to the silliness that I can stand. Why? <laughs> Just the other day, I walked down to the street and bought a Beano, but not a dandy. I didn't want to go crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying I'm not the kind of guy who, from time to time, enjoys half a lager. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and my collection of whoopee cushions is the envy of some people on the internet. However, <laughs> this was too far. <laughs> well, listen, Dave. If you didn't like Joe, you're not going to like Jordan. All right. This is a, another Jordan. This is the. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, this is. Oh, sorry. No, this is John. All Did right. I say Jordan. John. John um, okay. John. John sounds like a right arsehole. Anyway, <laughs> he says, "Hmm, this was my second attempt to get through a Pratchett novel, and again it failed, despite getting as far as page 132." In fact, actually, what is page 132? Let's, let's find out where he got yeah, to. Yeah, what, what, he what particularly overwhelmed him with scorn? Yeah, if he read the same one as me, he got as far as... It was like it's it's Kelly speaking to Cutwell about the so you know, like the the death cards and uh, predicting oh, yeah. a present. Rather than well, did he get to That's that bit and then kind of go, I saw that in, in Father Ted, this is rubbish. <laughs> yeah. If he brings out the death card... No, oh, right. He fucking okay. has as well. Fuck him. Anyway, there's more from John. Right, be delighted. To Hit hear. me up, John. Um, he says it's not a page turner. It faithfully moves along a one-line joke, never surprising or satisfying the mind. I did giggle twice and probably smirk up to three times. This <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>, <laughs> is my favourite line he comes God, out with. I probably <laughs> smirked three times. Wouldn't swear to four. In short, it reads like something written by a high school smarty pants seeking to impress his English teacher or perhaps his clique of friends. Oh, 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 oh. Ooh, that's the $65,000 word. His clique of friends. These these people with their friends. Now, I get the impression that John has written a fantasy book of his own that hasn't really been picked up. <laughs> and I bet he got a couple of notes back going, can you just not, just go read a bit of Terry Pratchett, see if he's any, see if you can get any pointers from the way he writes. Yeah. The only thing the only thing I think's missing from his review there is when he says his clique of friends, he should have put his clique of friends in the publishing business. Yeah, that's what you should have said. That's amazing. It's all a conspiracy against me and my output. Yeah. Oh, God, you can yeah. imagine the book he's written as well, can't you? A massive four-volume doorstopper, all featuring people with apostrophes in the middle of their names, fighting for yeah. mythical swords whilst riding animals that are like dragons but aren't dragons because they're cooler than dragons. I yeah. can see it now. <laughs> Yeah, thirty-two chapters crammed with sizzling gypsies. <laughs> Just as I finished talking, I was like, "Fuck! I should have done crammed with sizzling gypsies." Shit. <laughs> See, tag teaming, Matt. That's what it is. Tag team. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, I've got a couple more. Uh, Sam gave it four stars. Right. And he says, uh, I love this one. Not only does it involve lots of appearances by Death, my favourite Discworld character, but we get to see his more human side. Uh, Mort, meanwhile, becomes more and more like Death, losing many of his original characteristics, with moments of strange schizophrenia as both sides try to dominate. This is one of the best Discworld books I've read so far, with Pratchett's dry wit and humour coming across at its best. Would you say, Dave, that um, as someone who's read most of the Discworld books, if not Mm. all, um, that this is one of the sort of best ones that he did? Um, It depends what you like. Actually, I think this is is probably the first example of him getting into his stride. And there are a few books later on where, which are almost like heroically good like a guy who's totally nailed his whole world and whole tone so i think it's good but i think the fact that it spanks along at such a pace actually means there isn't the same depth as there is in some other books Hmm. and so there's um interesting times is a book from later on which is really funny really accessible but feels a little bit more substantial to me uh, just a bit more. I mean, it's still comic fantasy, right? But just a bit, a bit less. I've mm. got this clever idea, and look how well I can execute it. And a bit more. I've got these great characters, and look how much fun I can have making them interact. I would say. Yeah. And he definitely hits like there's a really there's this sweet stream from basically from this book, which is the fourth one in the series, up till about the twenty fifth, twentieth, where yeah. where literally he was mm. publishing. This is unbelievable. He was publishing two books a year, two of these books a year, and they were all superb like there are slight ups and downs but pretty much any one of those if you said you're on a desert island and you're only allowed that book i'd be like all right i'm set yeah um yeah so i i I don't know i wouldn't say it's the best but it's definitely up there Mm -hmm. okay i've got one more review to do but um i also came across while i was looking around here um there are a couple of sites that do terry pratchett's mort trivia and as a man, Dave, who knows his Terry Pratchett, I wondered if I could test you on oh, this book. Play, play, guys, play, play along yourselves as well. See how many of these you get. See how closely you've read it. Oh, really? Um, okay, all right. Bring it on. I mean, look, there are, there are 20 questions here, and some of them are really easy, so I'll try and do 10. All right, all right. Um, we'll start with an easy one. See if you can get 10 out of 10, all right? All right. And, and if you you know play along at home, as they say, in the business as well. <laughs> so first one. Throughout most of Terry Pratchett's Mort, what is the Wizard Cutwell's official title? Royal Recognizer. <laughs> Correct. I'll give you that one. Uh, all right, <clears> thanks. The next, the next question was who was Mort, but I think that's kind of obvious. You, you don't have to be reading this book with your eyes closed not to get that yeah, one, yeah, so yeah. we'll leave that. Um, okay, how about this one? In Terry Pratchett's Discworld world novel Mort, what colour can be seen in Death's eye sockets? Uh, blue, except for a brief period where he's really angry and then it's red. Oh, that is that is that is good because the answer here is just blue, but you gave extra extra credit. Bam. Modern. That's is that two 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 out of two. Two for two. Can he make it three? Now this is a trick. I don't know if you're going to get this one. All right, this all is right, a tricky right, one. Okay, okay. Which is the of which is. Well, I mean, you, you can have multiple choice if you want. We'll see if you can get it without it. Yeah. What is the name of Mort's father? Um, is it Lezek? Oh, you uh, yeah, absolutely you're right. <laughs> Brilliant! You didn't even need the multiple choice. I think you're going to get them all. Then was that three? Yeah, We're done. All right, okay, not many more. <laughs> uh, which is the fo- 
Which is the fo- oh, hang on. So which of the following is a religious order in Terry Pratchett's Discworld novel Mort? Mm. Shall I give you them these? You kind of, you kind of need these. Uh, no, it's the listening monks. It just says the listeners, but I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Thanks. Yeah, the listeners. <laughs> is it the listening? See, you actually know the answers better than whoever wrote these bloody questions. Okay, um, you've got four on four, but yeah. Oh, oh my goodness! You won't believe what's just come up. What? <laughs> you will not believe this question. What? Hit me! Come on! Come on! <laughs> Put it this way: I'd have struggled with it. All right. In Terry Pratchett's novel, what is the colour of Death's horse? <laughs> Hang on, no, it's on the tip of my tongue. Wait, I've, I, I know it. I know. <laughs> it's white, Matt. The, the, the horse is white. Yeah, you're correct. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. All right, let me just find one more. I'll find right. the hardest one right, okay. of these. Hit me, hit me. All right. What is Albert's full and true name? Oh, bloody hell. What, including titles or what? I can give you a series of options if you wish. Full and true name. Mm. No, I'm just... All, all I know oh, is Alberto Malik. No, that's it. Yeah, you got to Oh, go. okay. All right, cool. Well, I well, thought there was going to be some like Alberto Malik, master of unseen university, bringer of doom <laughs> unto death himself. You know, I wouldn't know any of that shit. Well, there you go. I hope um, somebody out there got all those as well. Or maybe it was just <laughs> me who didn't get them all. Um, we have just read the book, so I suppose we should know roughly what's happened <laughs> uh, but I mean you, you're listening to someone who thought for the entirety of the book that the colour of Death's Horse was black so yeah. you know yeah. what do I know uh, but David it's come to that time for you to give us your final thoughts on the book Ooh. and with this one I get the feeling it's going to be overwhelmingly positive um, but uh, uh, what would you say to someone who's coming to freshly to this Terry Project world never really been that into fantasy Never tried anything like this before. What should they expect from picking up Mort by Terry Pratchett? You should expect to laugh more than you're expecting to, and you should expect a lot less of the kind of po-faced um, fantasy is important because it's fantasy and it features elves bullshit that goes into most fantasy novels. Instead, you're going to get a great story told that happens to be told in a world which takes place on the back of a turtle which is completely flat and has sea pouring off around the edge and um, it will be I don't know it will it'll make you laugh it will entertain you I'm not going to describe it as like world changingly important but certainly if you like really really high craft writing like writing that's so well written that you don't notice it then I would say that Mort and indeed almost everything else Terry Pratchett's ever written is for you and I think you'd enjoy it a lot hmm so that is Terry Pratchett by Mort. Uh, for no, next it's not. Time... It's Mort by Terry Pratchett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you Although just got meta as shit to... just there, didn't you? I, I would. I would love to read Terry Pratchett by Mort. Yeah. that'd be a cracking one. Wouldn't read. it be? But anyway, um, yeah. So, so that was uh, Mort by Terry Pratchett. And um, for next time, we're moving from. Uh, what is ri- widely regarded as one of the best in an author's series, to what is widely regarded as one of the weakest in an author's series. I can't believe this is your sales pitch. I can't believe that's your sales pitch. Look, D- if you like Game of Thrones, you're going to read it anyway. Yes. No matter what I say. Game of Thrones! <laughs> We're back on the throne wagon, um, and it's going to be a feast for crows, which, uh, look... It might be a bit of a bumpy ride, this one, in places, but we, we're going <laughs> to do it in, in parallel to the fifth season of Game of Thrones, which, 
from what we can hear from various news sources, may not follow a great deal along with what's in the book, book five or book four, depending on... Oh, God, we're back in this again as well. <laughs> book four or five, depending on which volume you read. But anyway, it's going to be George R. R. Martin's A Feast for Crows for next week. Mm. Um, I will work out and tweet a page number to read to. Oh, I'm not... I'm dreading going back into this page number <laughs> crap as well. But I'll tweet that out on the Shatley Royal account later on. If you want to get your early thoughts in on A Feast for Crows, I'm sure there'll be plenty of them. It's mm. a sharkleyroyalpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, all I'll say is buckle up. So uh, if that isn't recommendation enough. <laughs> you really know hate this book, don't you? I'm really, I'm sensing we're going into a time for you which is going to be troubling. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm like, yeah, bring it on, George. I want yeah. to read some more of this. Because I've, 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 I've kept myself like a special, a special precious bloom all the way since reading the end of the last thing, <laughs> avoiding spoilers, avoiding a wiki of ice and fire. I am only ever reading these books when we're doing the podcast about them. So I have Super. to approach them with more hope than you're currently displaying. <laughs> so I hope it's better <laughs> than that. Yeah, I, I'm beginning to wonder if I've lowered expectations such that I will actually quite like it because the, the well, books I, in the whole I, are good, I, I so. hope so. Uh, see. I certainly hope so. I mean, I hope that it's kind of it's rekindled the spark of love in your otherwise dead ashen heart. But we'll see. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> hey, well, no. now, Matt, now you've done that voice, you've reminded me of something that we said we would do. Eh? Oh, yeah. Eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are we going to get sued into the ground for you? Are we going to use the music or are we just going to do a cappella? <laughs> <laughs> doing it a cappella. Fuck. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Very, ding, very ding, good. Ding. I'll, I'll do the piano intro. Wait. 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 Ding. 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 So. So this is a special special treat at the end. This is Dave's death and Matt's death. Sing. Gone fishing. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Here we go. I'll tell you why I can't find you. Every time I go out to your place. You gone fishing. Oh, you know. Well, there's a sign upon your door. Uh-huh. Gone fishing. I'm real you gone. You ain't man. working anymore. Could be. There's your hoe out in the sun. Oh. Where you left a row half done. You claim that hoeing, that ain't no fun. But I can prove You ain't got it. no ambition. Gone fishing. Sanguine. By a shady wady pool. <laughs> That's as good as it gets. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> oh, my me. voice is killing me now. Yeah, I'm not surprised. You've definitely got the harder one of those death. two versions. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. That's it then, isn't it? Yeah. Stay chilly. Stay chilly. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.